looking in the Bible again to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Now just about halfway through. 12th chapter. Follow along as I begin reading in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance." though he sought it diligently with tears. Shall we pray? <clears throat> our Lord and our God, we look to you this morning once again. We look to your word that you have left us with, but you have not let us alone with it, Lord. You provided your Holy Spirit who both wrote these words, and illuminates them in the hearts and minds of your people to give us understanding. And so, Lord, we would understand these things and we would grow from these things. Lord, we would become mature from your chastening hand. We would pray not that you would not leave us in our states of unrepentantness, in a state of rejection of your truth, but rather let us apply it to ourselves as you apply it through your hand of chastening and your hand of love so that we might be stronger, so we might endure until the end for your glory, awaiting your rewards. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Chapter 12 is how to run the faith race. We've been looking at four fundamentals for reaching the finish of the faith race. The first was be ready. The second was be trainable. And now today, be durable. Be durable. That's a good word, durability. You know, when you buy a pair of socks... You want those things to be durable. You want them to last. You buy a car, and especially your work truck, you want it to be durable. You might even want it with a Duramax in it. <laughs> we want it to keep going. We want energizers that keep on going and going and going. We admire durability. We're sad when something wears out, especially something that we liked. 
very much, and it wore out. As a matter of fact, I kind of liked my younger self, and it wore out. But there's a spiritual side to these things as well that age can affect in a opposite manner rather than deterioration, but unto durability. Remember, that's exactly what we are being called to in chapter 12, verse 1. Where it told us again that we're to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. A durable Christian is being made from this text of Scripture. We started verse 12 with a very important word that most of you are f familiar with, and the word was therefore. The therefore points us back to what we've already studied and now is building off of those truths. So we leave it not behind. We go right back to the chastening of verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. It hurts. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, let's pay attention here once again to those who have been trained by it. The training. If you're trainable, you're trained by it. And if you're trained by it, you will end up becoming more durable, lasting, enduring, if, it's a subjunctive, you've been trained by it. We want to be trained, and we must be trained to become durable. So verse 12 then starts out, therefore. There are four requirements for developing spiritual durability. And they're presented here, verses 12 through 17. And we study them so that we can stay in this race, even with the suffering and the chastening, and even from the chastening of God that corrects us, endure and become durable Christians. Many of us know a non-durable Christian. Some of us have them in our lives. They have seemed to have worn out or been wrung out by the race. They're not on the track anymore. They're not running. They're not in church anymore being trained to run. They're somewhere else. How did that happen? And how did they let that happen? And how did the church let that happen to them? I would say that the church has not taught on this enough. It is a prevalent trend throughout church history that teachers and preachers can start being well soft with God's word. To teach as an old pastor who taught me once said, they teach sermonettes for Christianettes and they never grow up. 
And they're not strong. They're not durable. They haven't been trained. And so today we are going to become more durable. And it won't be enough to just this Sunday to become more durable. We're going to do it again next Sunday. So if you forgot your gym clothes, we used to do that. I don't even know if they even have gym clothes anymore. They were awful. <laughs> but you all look the same, baby. Equal awfulness. That's just for free. Forgive my digression. Let's go get durable. Four requirements for developing spiritual durability, and we'll do two today and two next Sunday, good Lord willing. If the Lord comes, well, you won't even need to worry about it. But if he don't, you better get durable. The first is durability requires, and you felt this coming, you could see it coming. Durability requires exercise. Exercise. To so those who have been trained by chastening, that's exercise. If you didn't know it, just go through some. It requires exercise. And the problem that is put here in this text is the problem of spiritual weakness. Softness. Listen to how it's described. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Look at that picture. This is the proverbial wimp on the beach. He's got a neck like a stack of dimes. Seen bigger legs on a chicken. Those types of things. Getting sand kicked in his face. He hasn't applied himself to any kind of exercise. And there it is. His hands hang down in weak limpness. And his knees can barely hold him up. And this is in the context, if you will, from the chastening. If the chastening of the Lord isn't a training chastening, then a greater weakness comes upon the Christian. The hands get weaker. They hang lank and lax at their side and the knees barely hold them up and they dodder around like an old person and a breath of wind seems significant enough to bowl them over. Therefore, it says, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees and Christians in the United States of America and across the world and even in this church need to get stronger. That's the call. This isn't optional. Therefore, strengthen. That's our word, to strengthen. There's a spiritual weakness. And sin brings upon that weakness. And the righteousness of God brings it into the life. I'm using an illustration from a non-believer in the Old Testament, Darius, who thought he was a great king of the Medes and Persians who had taken over the Babylonian Empire. He brought Daniel into his service at a lower level, yet he did not hear from King Nebuchadnezzar that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob should be honored. He brought out all of the sacred dishes and the cups that they had taken from the temple in Jerusalem when he was having a big party. 
and drinking to excess. And they took those holy vessels and they drank from them. And most of you know what happened then. Then out of wherever out of comes from a hand appeared. And the hand, the hand of God went to the wall and it wrote on the wall many, many tekel ufarsin. Daniel 5, verse 5, In the same hour the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him. Here is the description so that his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. No one could read the language on the wall and so Daniel was found. And Daniel translated many You've been weighed in the balance. Many, you've been weighed in the balance. Tekel and found wanting. Ufarsen, therefore the kingdom is taken from your hand this very night. So it was. So it was. His knees were knocking. He was being chastened of the Lord, I should think. Am I wrong? Seeing brought to understand that there is one true God and his holy things should not be profaned for your parties. And now he knows God. He was not durable. He went by the wayside and we know not what happened to him other than he lost the kingdom. You could knock him down with a feather. He was so afraid. Well, that's a pagan. Here's the people of God. Isaiah chapter 35, actually where this quotation is taken from and put in the book of Hebrews. It is a glorious thing. It is after the punishment that God has proclaimed through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 35, now he proclaims the future glory of Zion, the kingdom glory. Listen to how the world will be restored. Verse 35, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. This is coming. But before that comes, you're going to be chastened of the Lord. You will actually be sent to that Babylon that we were just talking about in Daniel chapter 5. However, knowing that this is coming, listen... Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Pay attention here. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong. 
Do not fear. Behold. Isn't that what we need today amongst God's people, even in the midst of the correction of God, to get back on the path of God and to strengthen ourselves with the knowledge of the blessings that are coming to his people? For he says, God will come with a vengeance, he continues on in Isaiah, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall, be, deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame, listen, then the lame shall leap like a deer. Why did they know Jesus was the Christ? Because Isaiah said, then the lame shall leap like a deer. And he went dancing and leaping and praising God. So did the lame man. And back to our text, and the tongue of the dumb sang, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Jesus Christ was giving a foreshadowing of the removal of the curse and the greatness that would come to his own people in the kingdom. And here in Isaiah, the hope of the people is to help them not be weak. Brothers and sisters, if this world's all we got, we're going to be weak. If the promise that you think is all you're going to get is maybe a tomorrow, maybe a few more years, just like things are, well, I'm telling you this, it will create hands that hang down and feeble knees. One of the things that has bothered me the most about watching Christians look forward to what might be an end times event is the hands that are hanging down and the feeble knees. Oh no, the day of the Lord is coming. You know this is true. This might be you. We look at the world around us. We look at the leadership in the country. We look at the leadership across the world. We see the crime. We see the decadence. We see the immorality. We see even at the schools at the highest level of instruction in our country, uh, the people who are there to instruct our children are plagiarizing the word of someone else to get their positions. What's going on around here? It's all over. There's no hope. The liberals are winning. What happens if the conservatives win? Same thing. They are not our deliverance. They are not our strength. So Christians, strengthen those hands which are hanging down and those feeble knees. Stop whining. It's so hard. No, it's not. You drove to church today. And even if you walked, you were able. Does anyone here not have warm clothes this winter? Raise your hand. We'll get you some. But I know you all do. I saw you come in. This isn't that tough. It might get tough, but it's not tough yet. First Thessalonians 5, verse 14, the Apostle Paul. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, 
comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. That's for life in the church. What does that tell me in the first place? It tells me this. There will be unruly Christians. There will be faint-hearted Christians. There will be weak Christians. And there will be a great need of patience. So is he telling us, let the ruly be unruly. Let the faint-hearted be faint-hearted. And let the weak remain weak. Is that the message of this text? Certainly you should read it in its context. I have not the time today, but if you read it in its context, and even if you go to that second book of Thessalonians, it says something like this. Let him who does not work, he shall not eat. That's just something for the homelessness problem and in the church for the laziness problem. No, it says, those who are unruly warn. I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds like chastening. When you're out of line with God and his word, the church has to realign. Secondly, faint-hearted. There are some who by nature are scaredy cats. Some of you know that and are maybe even willing to raise your hands. That's me. I get scared of everything. Some of you are the other extreme. You rush in where angels fear to tread, and that's a whole nother sermon. It's not this one right now. But the faint-hearted need something from others. They need to be comforted. How do you comfort the faint-hearted? You tell them this. The king is coming. The king wins. And we will be with the king to watch. Meanwhile, be durable. Don't quit running. Comfort them. And for the weak. Uphold them. Come on, brother. You can do it. Here, hang on to me. I know you don't want to hang on to me. You're going to hang on to me. And I'm going to hang on to you. I'm not letting you go. Take a step. Good job. All right, now let's do two. Good job. You know what? I think we're exercising together. See how it's a group thing. Just like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, which sometimes we'll all need with chastening. Amen? Do not forget our context, Hebrews 12, verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, unless your hands become those that hang down. They're no longer useful. Hands that hang down and feeble knees are not useful in the ministry of God because they're weak. They're not durable and enduring. 
Remember, you aren't even going to get close to what Jesus suffered, and he is our example. You can always say, no matter what the test is that you're in, no matter what the trial, no matter what the chastening, you can always say, Jesus had it what? Worse. And I don't just mean the physical pain. Is physical pain really the worst in life? Somebody tell me. Yes or no? No. Spiritual pain is the worst. Physical pain, you can deal with that. The spiritual stuff that goes deep inside, in the heart, in the mind, in the very spirit, so that then your physicality, your bones feel like they're melting. That's hard. Jesus had the hardest spiritual weight put upon him. And what weight was that? The judgment of God, very God, and his wrath against sin was poured out on Jesus Christ. The cross wasn't the big deal. The nails in the hands weren't the great pain. The thorny crowns on his brow, those were not the anguish. It was the people who stood before him whom he came to save. He came unto his own, and his own received his not, him not, and they shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. If thou be the Messiah, take yourself off the cross. Save yourself, they said. And he said, no, to save you, I must remain and take the weight of sin upon my brow. And know that the turning of the Father's face from me is a forsaking that you will never know who believe. You just learn to endure, for I've endured before you. Let me give you an example of weakness. You may think it's going to be grand. It's not grand. It's common. I used to ride down from where we lived in Southern California in the high desert, Palmdale. It's a 45-minute drive to Master Seminary, and we'd go with another guy who was going the same direction, the same way, my carpool partner. Every morning I would ask him, how you doing? And it would start. Complaining. Complaining, complaining. I swear the guy never had a good day that he could ever tell anybody about, or even a good thing. It was always bad. He was a proverbial Eeyore. Even if it was sunny and bright and perfect, I suppose it's going to rain. Just constant, like the dripping of a faucet. And you know what I did after a while, and it's to my shame, I just quit asking. Too often, that's how Christians are living their Christian life. You've got no joy. Your heart's full of complaining and crying and whining. Your hands are hanging down and your knees are feeble. And you don't care who knows. You should be ashamed to look like that. What's wrong with us in this country? And when people say, oh, you know, you can't talk to people like that, you'll get fired. You know what? It's true. I've been fired. You see, as Christians, we don't fire each other. 
We didn't get ourselves into Christ. We don't get ourselves out of Christ. We don't pick our brothers and sisters in Christ. We live with them. We warn the unruly. We comfort the faint-hearted. We uphold the weak and we're patient with all, including pastors. And that's going to be your, your cross to carry, not mine. <laughs> well, I've carried such a cross. So what's the solution? The problem spiritual weakness. What's the solution? It's exercise. The call is strengthened. Therefore, strengthen. And so the follow-up question should be from all of us, how do I strengthen these feeble knees and hands which are hanging down? How do I, well, get pumped up? In the spiritual sense of the word. Strengthen. It means to restore. To rebuild. Even to brace up. In the Western world, we say it this way. Cowboy up. Cowboy up. When it's tough, when you get hurt, when you get thrown off, what do you do? You get right back on. You cowboy up. Our word in the Greek, anorthao, is really like bracing up. Like an orthopedic device that you put on your knees when you got weak knees. It means to set up and make a wreck. Even a crooked person. Let me show you how it's used when Jesus Christ did some healing. In Luke 13, verse 10, we start. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. You want to talk about infirmity. You want to talk about somebody who is in a state of weakness. Here she is. Verse 12 we read, But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Listen, woman, thou art loosed from this infirmity. I just had to use the old king. Thou art loosed. From this infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. That's our word. And glorified God. So the process has been making ourselves straight, to stand up straight again, strengthen those knees, and get those hands in line, and exercise. Now, many of you know that in my undergrad at Montana State University, I studied sports medicine. In sports medicine, we're all about strengthening feeble knees that get hurt and any other body part. And there was a principle. It was, it was called this, the said principle. S, specific. A, adaptation. I, imposed. D, demands. Specific adaptation to imposed demands. You know what the problem is in the church, the United States, too much today? There are no and almost none imposed demands that will make you stronger. 
While someone is healing up, there's a fine balance between giving them rest and then giving them just enough exercise so that they heal strong, so that the body adapts to that pressure, builds itself up, and even the scar tissue will lay itself down in the right direction, the direction of stress, when it's exercised while healing. If you don't put stress on that joint, on those ligaments, on those tendons, on those pulled muscles, while you heal, the scar tissue will go all higgledy-piggledy. It won't align up, and it'll start binding to other things it shouldn't bind to, and you've got now a permanent limp. But if you push through that pain and make yourself do some exercise, supervised by a sports medicine specialist, then you have a chance of getting back onto the field. You have a chance of re-entering the race. Exercise is crucial even in pain, even under the pain of chastening, even under the pain of correction. So how do we get stronger? I'm using athletics not just because I love athletics, but because Paul used it. He said we're running the faith race. So how do you become stronger? Well, first, you must increase resistance. You know, you can buy those little pedal bikes, you know, and get them. And, and you can sit on those pedal bikes, and, and, and you can just whiz away. And it's real easy until you turn up the tension. And there's more resistance. Now, all of a sudden, it isn't as fun. You can't go as fast. There's resistance. To become durable, you're going to need some dedication to the exercise of increasing the resistance. Weightlifters de desire more stress, and they test it this way, by these little numbers that are on the cast iron plates that go onto the bars that they lift. So at any moment, you can come and ask. Lindsay's son likes to lift weights. Looking at me, he had no clue in my past I'd ever lifted weights. And it was a little shock to him that I once had. Well, let me tell you, the first question he asked me when we went outside, we're cooking some hamburgers, he come outside with me because that's what men do. We go out to the grill and the girls stay inside. If you don't know that rule, it's written somewhere. And we're outside in the winter, which is cowboying up. And he says, how much did you used to lift? I said, which lift? You think I don't remember? Of course I remember. I was there. I'll never forget it. Down to the parallel and squat back up. Ha! I know exactly how much I could lift and what the goal was. And every time you want more. Is that your Christian life every time you want more resistance? Could you be like we were in basic training? They taught us to say this while they were exercising us. Most of us thought to death. When they give us a little pause, they'd make us say this. 
We like it. We love it. We want more of it. And then what would they do? They would give us what we wanted. More of it. Good, they'd say. Front-leaning rest position, move. You know the front-leaning rest position is, don't you? It's the push-up position. You can rest as long as you're moving. I mean, but you are down. Yes. Think about it if Christians thought that way. I mean, really, literally, do we think that way in the church as Christians? Lord, give me more resistance. Last week was too easy, Lord. Can't you bring something into my life that'll pump me up just a little bit more? I think we can, can't we? Can't we start thinking that way? This is how we strengthen feeble hands or feeble knees and the hands that hang down. We increase the pressure. Listen to David. Was David a man after God's heart? He was indeed. How did he get strong? Do you realize that David was anointed by Samuel as king over Israel 13 years before he would ever have all of Israel under his reign? And you know what he did most of the time? He ran from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. And you might say, well, why would this happen to David? I mean, he's the guy that killed Goliath. Yes, he was. He's playing the harp in Saul's tent. Saul takes a spear. Yeah! Tries to pin him to the wall. Oh, Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. Oh, he dodged. He got out of there. And he ran and he ran and he ran. And then he ran up to the wilderness of Ziph. And listen to this. 1 Samuel 23, 15, so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, rose. Many of you know that Jonathan and David were the greatest of friends. When they first met each other, they both said, you're my brother. The Bible tells us that their hearts were knit together and stayed that way. Even though Jonathan's dad was trying to kill David, their friendship, their brotherly love lasted. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods, listen, and strengthened his hand in God. I wish I could read the rest, but I know I don't have enough time, but he's going to tell him, you're anointed. You're going to have the kingdom. God said it. It's going to happen. It's future. Be strong in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom's coming, but it's future. So you need to increase the resistance, and God will give us resistance in our lives like David to make him into the king he wanted him to be because of 13 years of resistance. And so your Christian walk will have resistance, and if you want more, if you like it, if you love it, if you want more of it, you'll become durable. Secondly, to become stronger, you must increase the repetitions. David killed Goliath. 
You know, you could retire on that one, I think. Just sit back, tell the story. People buy you lunch just to hear it again and retire. But that's not what he did. David was devoted to God. He had a heart after God's heart. And even in Christianity, every Christian needs to be strengthened in the Lord and grow stronger by the repetitions. And the repetitions come by those who spur us on in the ministry like the Apostle Paul did to all the churches he had planted. In Acts chapter 18, verse 22, listen. And when he had landed in Caesarea, that's Paul, and gone up and greeted the church, now listen, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, listen, here's his purpose, strengthening all the disciples. We are to be strengthened. We need strengthening. And Paul came to keep them strong, and that was his purpose. So how do we increase some of these reps? What are the repetitions? Just what are we moving here? In Colossians 3, verse 16, we read how to train, how to increase the reps of exercise, and it's all related to the heart and devotion. How bad you want that no pain, no gain. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Well, how do you do that? Not like this. You don't take your Bible and lift it up in the air like this to get your try. No, you open it. And you read it repetitiously. No pain, no gain. If you don't study the word, if you're not in the word, you will never grow stronger in the Lord. You'll be wordless. We have to read the word of God to grow stronger in the Lord or will not be durable. Let it dwell in you. If you've never opened it, if you aren't reading it, it can't dwell in you. It can't live there and then come out. Because it's supposed to come out even in wisdom, in all wisdom. Listen, here's what you do with it once it's in. Here's another repetition. It's not just for you to read all alone and say, I know more than you do. Nanny, nanny, boo, boo. No, that's not what we're doing here. It's not a Christian contest. We're to help one another. Listen, it says it goes on. Teaching and admonishing one another. See the nice part? Teaching. See the hard part? Admonishing. This is truth. That's error. Notice this isn't just pastors. It's all of us. You could help me share the load of resistance to the Word of God. To one another, teaching and admonishing one another. Here's how you can even do it singing. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace your hearts in the Lord. Notice he didn't say with pounding, with pummeling, with headlocks. What a joyous way to be uh, admonished with a psalm. 
and a spiritual song. Getting ourselves together and aligning with it. What a joy. I think there's something misleading in my counseling. It should be more singing. Might just work. Whatever you do, it says in verse 17, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's a repetition. Whatever you do, is it a dedication? For when you dedicate your works to the Lord, the proverb says, your thoughts will be established. I mean, you'll be doing it for the right reason. Why am I digging this ditch, Lord? Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my shovel? It'll be the best ditch. Like no other. See, that singing's kind of working, isn't it? I'm not sure that's a song worthy, but it's getting there. I'll polish it up for next week. Even the most mundane of tasks can be offered to the Lord. How long has it been since you cleaned the oven? Oh, boy. You want to test some rejoicing, get your head in there. I mean, what is that stuff you have to spray on anyway? I mean, to tell you what. It might cause cancer. I don't know, but it can't be good. But it works. But how many complaints rather than joy? See, in all things we do, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's exercise. That's resistance. That is repetition. There's more, but I only have one sermon. Next, durability requires recovery, recovery time. There needs to be resistance added in that recovering time, but there needs to be when the problem is spiritual lameness. Look at verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather helped. When you go in for a hip replacement or knee replacement, as Vicki and I can now testify, you go home with a packet. The packet has on it how to prepare your home for life after the surgery. Remove obstacles, carpets with edges. Don't go up and down stairways. Make straight paths for yourself, lest what has just been fixed become, and is weak gets out of joint because... You fell on the edge of the carpet you should have moved. And there's a lot of carpets you don't need. You know all those little frilly carpets you put in the bathrooms, gals? Get rid of them. That's death. Can't push your walker over that stuff, I'm telling you. Here I am talking, I went from weightlifting to walkers. I have fallen. <laughs> both of which I have experienced, and I have a feeling I know which direction this is going. But you need some rest. You need to make things safe. The spiritual lameness and the obstacles in our life must be removed because an associated danger, notice, is dislocation. Dislocation. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. You're trying to heal up and get strong. You don't want to put it out of joint. And so I have another sports medicine example for you as well. 
After injury, we call it the rice principle or the ice-er. Ice-er is the correct order. Ice compression, exercise, and rest, but you can turn it into the acronym RICE, rest, ice, compression, elevation. You need ice immediately after a sprain. You know why you need the ice? It stops what we call secondary tissue death. Your body tries to heal itself too much by putting in all these little things from your blood. Let me just keep it simple. And it swells. And usually there's too many of these things called phagocytes that come in and phago from eating to eat the blood and the stuff from the sprain and get it out of there. But there's too many and they'll start eating good tissue. So you put ice on it so they don't go too fast. So you put ice on it right away. Then compression. You wrap it with something so that it stabilizes it and keeps it from swelling too much. And then you elevate it. You put that foot up on the bench, try to get it above heart, heart height to, again, remove those things from it. And then you rest it because you've got to have some rest as well. Let me read you a text. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and from a good conscience and from sincere faith, from which some, listen, having strayed, there's our word, having strayed, have turned aside, have been dislocated to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. You need rest. That's faith. Notice how many times faith was put in there. You got to trust the process that this is going to work. Got to trust God and do it His way, not someone else's way, and you rest in that. Ice. You have to have ice on it to stop the secondary tissue death. Charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Put that stuff on ice. So you're not dislocated. Compression. Charge them not to teach any other doctrine nor giving heed to fables or endless genealogies. You got to squish the excess pus out of the dislocated, the sprained part. You got to get it out of there. And that's one of the ways you do it. And you know how you do it? You elevate. You get yourself close to God. Lift your foot up on the bench above your heart. I say lift your heart up to God. With godly edification. Get the good stuff in. Which is in faith. If you don't do that, somebody's going to tell you a few weeks, well, of course you still hurt. Of course you're not getting better. Did you ice it? No. Did you put on compression? 
Well, I don't like it. It's tight. Elevation. Well, I can't sit there all day like that. I just said 20 minutes. Rest. I'm not a rester. I got to keep going. And to that, we say with the French, la. The problem is spiritual lameness and obstacles. Let's go on. First Timothy again, chapter 5, verse 11. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. This means that we're not supposed to take in widows who've lost their husbands who are under the age of 60. This is biblical. You can read the whole thing. Why? Because this will, this will happen. Having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith, and besides, they learn to be idle. Say it isn't so. Wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, Paul says, I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house. Notice, I did not say that. Paul did. What were the priorities? Well, you can find them. They're right there. Give no opportunity, here it is, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully for some, here it is, have already turned aside after Satan, have already been dislocated after Satan. They're off the path. They're in the weeds. They're stumbling over the rocks of Satan. They've lost their way. What's the solution? Well, just like in the house before you bring the walker home, clearing the way. Make straight, it said in our text, paths for your feet. Watch where you walk. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For there's someone up above looking down on those he loves. I think that's kind of it. Careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Our life has to be careful. There's some things we have to get out of our way so we can become stronger. We have to use the right technique. We have to stay on the field that God gave us rather than being dislocated by being off the path or too stupid to clear the way. And this is how we do it. 1 Timothy 6. O Timothy, Paul closes the book. Guard what, would, what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed. There we are again. Some are off the path concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Paul, again, in Romans 14, even dealing with each other and how we handle Christian liberty, he says, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which may edify one another. We build each other up. We don't put obstacles in each other's paths, even with our own Christian liberties. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or made weak. Do you have faith? Have it for yourself before God. 
Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. That's clearing the way of the life. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith, listen, is sin. So there we are again, back to getting the sin out of our lives, which was what he had talked about earlier anyway. We're on the road and we're running. The highways of old. You know, if you want to get somewhere fast, clear, straight, do you take the old highway or the interstate? The old highways are great if you've got all day. All day and no place to go. Because those little highways go to every town, every hamlet, every roadside attraction. All kinds of things to entice you to come in. Many things that make you slow down. Up, oh, down to 25 again. Oh, there's the cop. He's just right there. That's how they make the money. There you are. Slowed down again. Oh, look, a dinosaur thing. Let's go see that. Oh, look, they have ice cream. Let's go there. Bob's Diner. You know that has to be good. Pull in there. That wasn't so good. But if you really want to get there, you go down the interstate. Clear path. Straight line. Let's get where we're going. That's clearing the path. The word of God is our highway. The interstate. And we don't veer to the side. As they say it in the Old Testament, turning our eyes neither to the left nor to the right. But as it says in Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Get durable. Let's pray. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its teaching. Thank you for its admonishment. Holy Spirit, use this word in our lives today and this week. And let us grow stronger. Let us strengthen our feeble hands, or hands that hang down and feeble knees. Let us heal and get back in order and make straight our paths. We can walk with you. That we can rise up and run again. Feel the wind in our hair as we run for the Spirit. Enjoy the exuberance being useful in the hands of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.